contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. In times of spiritual and moral chaos, it can be hard to discern truth from error and to apply it to all of life. God's word is not silent, and we don't have to be either. This is Once for All Delivered with Caleb Castro and Andrew Smith. Well. Well. Hello. (laughs) Well, hello there, fellow truth seekers. Welcome back to Once for All Delivered, the podcast that dives deep into the riches of Reformed theology and its impact on culture. I'm Caleb, and as always, I'm joined by my partner in theological exploration, the ever-thoughtful Andrew. How's it going, my friend? Hello, hello, Caleb. It's great to be back in the studio with you, my Reformed Theology compadre. Time flies, doesn't it? We've been on this captivating journey for a while now, and it just keeps getting better. Absolutely, Andrew. It's hard to believe how many incredible conversations we've had, how many layers of theological understanding we've peeled back, and how much we've learned from our amazing guests along the way. The journey of Once for All Delivered has truly been a blessing. You said it, Caleb, and let's not forget our incredible listeners who have been on this journey with us. Thank you all for your continued support, your feedback, and for sharing this adventure in Reformed theology and culture. We couldn't do it without you. Absolutely, Andrew. It's the thought-provoking questions, engaging discussions, and diverse perspectives from our listeners that keep this podcast this podcast vibrant and alive. We're so grateful for each and every one of you. And hey, speaking of gratitude, Caleb, I have to give a shout out to our incredible guests who have shared their wisdom, insights, and expertise with us. From pastors to theologians, scholars to artists, they've enriched our understanding and challenged us to think deeper. Yes, indeed, Andrew. We've had the privilege of conversing with some of the brightest minds in Reformed theology and exploring how their insights intersect with the ever-evolving landscape of culture. It's been truly inspiring. And you know what, Caleb? As we've explored Reformed theology and its impact on culture, we've witnessed how these timeless truths have the power to transform lives and shape society. It's not just an intellectual exercise. It's a way of seeing the world. Absolutely, Andrew. Reformed theology has this unique ability to challenge our assumptions, confront our biases, and guide us in seeking justice, truth, and beauty in the world around us. It's a theology that calls us to action, to engage with the culture, and make a difference. And that's precisely what we hope to inspire in our listeners, Caleb. We want Once for All Delivered to be a catalyst for thought, a source of encouragement, and a platform for meaningful dialogue that ignites a passion for both theological depth and cultural engagement. Well said, Andrew. So, folks, whether you're new to Once for All Delivered or have been with us from the beginning, we're thrilled to have you on this incredible journey. Let's keep exploring, keep questioning, and keep growing together. Absolutely, Caleb. So buckle up, my friends, as we continue our voyage through the vast expanse of Reformed theology and culture. There's so much more to discover, so many more perspectives to explore, and we can't wait to share them all with you. Indeed, Andrew. Get ready for thought-provoking conversations, captivating insights, and a whole lot of Reformed goodness. Once for All Delivered is here to stay, and we're excited to have you along for the ride. Yeah, we may not be around to stay after that. 
Okay, no so in case you're wondering, uh, no, we haven't been kidnapped and you don't need to call the police and have them check on us. Uh, this is Once for All Delivered. I am Andrew Smith, joined by my, <laughs> him, yeah. By, by, your, by your reformed goodness in brotherhood arms, Caleb Castro. And tonight we are doing an episode on artificial intelligence and it's developments and possible implications for the church and for Christians. And so we decided to let ChatGPT uh, write our opening banter, and that went about as well as, well, you heard it. <laughs> <laughs> really? I don't know, I mean, I don't know if it's, it's not really worse than what we usually do, but it's just That's weird. That's what I was going to say. It might actually be an improvement. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> We'd love to hear your feedback on that, dear listeners. We couldn't do this without you. Yeah, we we will have you so long for the ride that uh, we'll put it on complete autopilot, like a uh, like a good Tesla, and uh, we'll have it just write the entire script of a show from here on. Yeah, in fact, we'll even that just program our voices into it, so we don't even have to be here. <laughs> Wouldn't, Wouldn't that be great? For video. Imagine OFAD, only we don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'd get a lot more listeners then. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, so artificial intelligence. This is, uh, this is uh, a new frontier, I suppose, for, uh, for both of us. Um, so, Artificial Intelligence was a 2001 movie starring Haley Joel Osment uh, as uh, David, a childlike <laughs> android uniquely programmed with the ability to love. I don't think that's the right thing. <laughs> that's a, oh, sorry, different AI. Okay, let's try that again. So, AI, Artificial Intelligence. No, really. Um, yeah, this this is perhaps just uh, was, was something that. You know, uh, it's been growing in popularity, um, and so we've we've been kind of just wondering about some of the implications of AI going forward. Um, I guess before going into kind of a breakdown of um, of some of the current issues, pros and cons, uh, the benefits and, and not so beneficial aspects uh, of AI, um, I want to give a Start here with just kind of a, a brief, uh, just a, a couple of brief notes on uh, AI to catch us all up to speed on the conversation in society so far. Um, before I go into that, is there anything you want to start with, Andrew, that you want to add? Yeah, it's just, uh, it seems like in a sense that AI has been around for a while, and yet in a different sense, it's all very new. Like you kind of, Really, for decades now, you kind of hear about AI exists, but it's kind of in the the dark, shadowy, experimental phase. I remember, it's probably been 10, 15 years ago, uh, you'd see companies like IBM and Microsoft, and then they'd run TV commercials, and they'd be talking about how they were using AI and new technologies and new projects. You can think of some of maybe the early popular developments in AI, um, 
I remember back in the 90s, I used to be really into chess, and it was a big deal when they built mm-hmm. the chess computer, Deep Blue, and it mm-hmm. uh, played several games against Gary Kasparov, who was the world chess champion at the time. And uh, if I remember correctly, initially Deep Blue didn't do so well, but over time, as it did have some kind of machine learning going on, it learned and then got better. And then uh, later on, after I went to college and I was in the workforce, uh, when I worked in state governments, I worked in the transportation departments in my state. And uh, at the time where connected and automated vehicles were really starting to uh, become a major topic of discussion and started to look like they would be the wave of the future. Um, and really had a lot of momentum that way. And then there were some bad accidents and stuff that have seemed to kind of slow that roll a little bit. But um, and then now we are starting to see AI being rolled out to the masses, things like chat GPT, which we use to write our opening dialogue. Uh, so need to work some bugs out of that. They do. Mm-hmm. But um, but also even now, like yeah. these image generation programs, Um, I'm hesitant to call them art because of the nature of art, but, um, yeah, now, so they've been, they've been released to the broad public and we've played around with them a little bit. Um, sure. Most of our listeners probably have too, you know, it's kind of this big curiosity that everybody's uh, getting their feet wet in. Absolutely. Andrew. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> taking a cue from our, our chat GPT script there. Yeah, really though. Um, so you, yeah, you were already noting deep blue, the, uh, the chess playing AI. Um, so, I mean, this, this really does show how far back, uh, AI is going. Uh, that's already at the early nineties, uh, maybe even late eighties, but, uh, yeah, I mean, just, just to, just to begin, there was already, um, uh, a definition, uh, actually, so the term AI was coined already back in, in uh, 1955, uh, Stanford professor John McCarthy. Um, he gave a general definition to AI, uh, saying that it's the science and engineering of making intelligent machines. Um, and already at that time, there, there was kind of a forward-looking, uh, you know, there, there was a forward-looking um, vision on uh you know, trying to find, uh, trying to have AI uh, be machines programmed to uh, behave in, um, in a way, in particular tasks. Uh, so they're they're programmed to perform particular tasks, but to then also emulate the things that humans do or emulate human uh, thought. Um, really, there's 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 two general forms of AI. Uh, I'm not going to spend very much time on this. Uh, there's a lot, actually quite a lot that we can go into here. Um, but we just want to have this serve as like a, a introductory, uh, both for ourselves and anyone else listening. But uh, there's there's weak AI, which are those AI that are, uh, are, are trained to perform specific tasks. And you have examples such as, um, well, the, the chess playing uh chess playing AI Deep Blue, but also things like, say, uh, Siri or Amazon uh, Alexa. Uh, those are programmed to perform specific singular tasks. Um, but there's there's a theoretical uh, AI called uh, Strong AI that's looking to complete more tasks at once than what has previously been done. So it, it's looking at, at solving uh, problems of 
using complex data sets. Um, and that, that's, that's the nature of what we're seeing with a, a lot of AI development recently. Um, you were mentioning ChatGBT, Andrew. Um, ChatGBT and, and uh, other AI, uh, AI uh, technology like it have already been around now since about 20, uh, early 2010s or so. Um, but we're really just coming to hear them now. They're starting to become broadly uh, commonplace in culture. Um, but it's, it's not like it's just kind of all of a sudden popped up. You know, we're already mentioning things like Siri and Alexa, these kind of day-to-day devices for some people. But there's also been things like, say, speech recognition, um, you know, uh, text-to-speech or speech-to-text generation. Uh, or maybe for uh, some listeners, maybe you went onto a business or corporation's website and uh, you submitted a request for customer service. The, a lot of customer services centers are now using uh, virtual uh, customer service chatbots, um, or perhaps one, maybe some one of the most commonplace ones. If you're using something like Facebook or really just going on the internet, there's recommendation engines where uh, things like you know websites might utilize your cookies, your browsing history to generate ads specific to you. Um, we have those instances like where we joke around saying that our phones are always listening to us, the CIA is tapping into us. Um, Maybe there's a truth to that, but with an AI engine that's that's uh, actively listening to generate things for consumers. But just the last brief note on this then, uh, on kind of this primer. Uh, so ChatGBT is using um, basically a learning algorithm to be able to uh, build layer upon layer like a Russian nesting doll of information to sort through and catalog it. Um, so that way it's able to generate, uh, the inquiries or the response that a user wants. So chat GPT, for instance, is a, a language learning AI. It uses language models, language information on an enormous scale to, uh, basically process information and then, uh, it's being trained on the information and then it is giving responses that sound conversational or human-like. So it's programmed to analyze language, basically, and then sort through a bunch of things on the internet. Just putting it all very, very concise, simple. I know there's a lot more to it, and I'm no expert on it at all, but that's the gist. It, it's sorting through enormous amounts of data to then uh, converse with you. And we'll see why that's an interest here in a bit. Yeah. So now the question you may have as you're listening to this, it's like, well, okay, this is a podcast about uh, Christianity and theology and culture, so why are you doing a show on AI? We're kind of at a point in the history and the life of AI where um, now that it's being rolled out widely and more complex forms of this AI technology are appearing we're really getting into a point where we're going to start seeing AI impact and even change the world in some very significant ways. And some ways, which as I think we'll go along, we'll get into this a little bit more, that um, not only have implications like for the world and for the economy and for culture, but even 
theological and moral implications, questions about what is man, what is the role of man, uh, what is, uh, basically, where do we draw the lines of sin, uh, what is right and what is wrong, because AI is being applied in some ways that either blur or blatantly cross those lines. So these are things as Christians we need to start thinking about, uh, and it's better to start thinking about them uh, when they're in their early stages so that as the developments come, we're ready as opposed to sort of being caught on the back foot with these things. Yeah, maybe uh, we could also take a comparison. Um, perhaps there's, there's some parallels with, say, uh, the initial rise uh, in mass consumption of the Internet in the early 90s. Uh, there was already having to be discussion on if there should be certain limitations and uh, legislations, laws on regulating the Internet. And, and some of those conversations still continue today. Um, and we have to think that, like, yeah, that there is an element of the Internet that is uh, regulated in which we, we are protected from some of the uh, perhaps more devious uh, elements of the Internet. Um, there's people that will talk about, say, the dark web, uh, you know, like uh, basically like inter- just for a really rough comparison, Internet black market of information and uh, even services, uh, oftentimes a very much sexual uh, or uh, militant natures. Um, mm-hmm. So that so the, this is a conversation, that, in other words, um, on a question of ethics, AI ethics, Um and we here at OFAD like ethics, we like Christian ethics. And this is a, um, you said, engaging in this at an early stage. And we have to recognize this isn't year one of this early stage on on, on AI ethics. There's already a field in uh, universities on uh, AI ethics. Uh, presently, there's, um, there's a conversation amongst uh, the European Union now for the past couple, actually the past couple of years, since 2020 at least, on regulating AI. Um, and especially center, most recently center to this conversation is ChatGPT. Um, you could go back on articles into, uh, I found one actually uh, from the Gospel Coalition on AI going back into uh, to 2019, already on uh, with the title, The FAQs, the Christ- What Christians Should Know About Artificial Intelligence by Joe Carter. So this is an ongoing discussion in its initial stages. Um, And we do want to be proactive, like Andrew said, in that. Um, With with that, uh, perhaps we we could start off on some, uh, just just noting some of the benefits, uh, pros of the use of uh, AI. Yeah, and I think uh, we already start to see some of the, potentially good applications for AI. Um, It has a lot of creative potential as far as like we can use AI to uh, produce text, to produce images for projects, for various forms of use. Um, So like say for instance, you know, I've played around with chat GPT some and it's like, you can even ask it things like, write me a contract of some sort, and it'll spit out a pretty decent, pretty legal looking, I'm not a lawyer, but uh, that sort of a document. Um, It's good for like uh, ideas, like, uh, you know, I don't really know what I wanna say about something, I don't really wanna know what to think about. 
pop a few things into chat GPT, uh, see what it spits out. Um, and I think in a way it perhaps has a chance to supplant things like search engines. And we're even seeing like Microsoft has, uh, integrated chat GPT into Bing, uh, as opposed to their more traditional search technology. Um, as far as other potential applications, um, I did mention my past work in the transportation field. Uh, there is a lot of potential for like connected and autonomous vehicles as far as things like, uh, I've actually seen some of the models they've created and some of the simulations they've run. And basically, uh, if connected, if everybody had connected, had automated vehicles, you could actually basically eliminate traffic because the thing about automated vehicles is they don't have to stop at stoplights. Uh, things of that sort. They just keep right going and they like weave between each other and everything. And it's very efficient. The other thing about it, um, you would have a lot less need for parking because if your car is automated, if your car can drive itself, you get to wherever you're going, you send your car home. Um, and then it, you don't need to park it where you're at. And then you just have it come back and get you when it's time. Um, so there is a lot of potential applications in like urban planning, construction, city building, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, those are just a few I've got, Caleb. I'm sure you've got some more. Uh, yeah, there, there's a couple in there. Um, the uh, yeah, one 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 example of say something uh, something relatively uh, relatively more widespread uh, that a lot of us have these days are facial recognition, such as say I have my phone here, uh, my iPhone. I just hold it up and it unlocks, right? This is this is run by AI, AI programming. Um, you know, you 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 can you can uh, think of things like say some what thirty to twenty five years ago, maybe even uh, more recent. Um, if you were looking for a criminal, uh, you know, how did you tend to find them? Uh, and and a, a, a older or archaic form was uh, police sketch artists, right? Um, these Facial recognition um, processors uh, are able to go and take a bunch of different uh, face models and such. Um, they're able to, you know, scan through a bunch of different uh, images of people. Uh, think of if that po uh, think of if models are able to be generated to uh, assist in looking through criminal profiles or finding someone. Um, Yes, we'll get into the into the con in a moment there, but uh, this this is the potential pros here. <laughs> yeah. The uh, the other one, uh, say same thing. Uh, you could also perhaps have similar models with um, fingerprint recognition, such as what I use to unlock my computer. Uh, what some people use to unlock phones. Um, you have things like say I was I was reading through one earlier. Uh, Open AI who who. Uh, runs the chat GPT has a uh, has systems called whisper resemble and speechify this is uh, able to basically generate voices through AI uh, some people have actually used these to make uh, songs um, by artists that have not collaborated together so fake AI songs um, I think it was by Drake in the weekend or something I, I don't really listen mm. to them but um, and by I don't really listen to them I don't listen to them so I don't really know what that sounds like but uh, you can have these you can have songs produced, uh, generated by people that say are dead or whatever. But, 
OpenAI's um, Whisper trains on basically um, a bunch of language data, audible language data. Um, one individual, uh, it's uh, Scott Blevins, a co-owner of HeyThere.ai, says that he had used such a, a voice generator to uh, generate a and record a letter of encouragement to his nine-year-old daughter, and that the voice sounded very, very realistic. So you could use it to generate voices. Um, you can keep going. I mean, you can use comparisons of, uh, of things like, say, x-rays um, in the medical field, comparing different uh, you know, images uh, uh, from uh, x-ray imaging uh, to perhaps then go and instantly compare an x-ray uh, of yourself you know, uh, to see if there's a, you know, a match for certain medical problems. So you can go on and on different examples of this, but perhaps you're even one. I was, Oh yeah, go ahead. We were, we were talking a little bit the other day, even about, could this possibly be used for something like language translation? We've already seen forms of that with like Google translate Mm -hmm. stuff, but as it improves, could you use it actually in the translation of text and things of that sort to at least, uh, maybe not do it perfectly, but kind of get the ball rolling on uh, getting more translation work done, things of mm-hmm. that sort. Yeah, I mean, in, in even in the Christian sphere, we we could talk about this in another element or another time, perhaps. Uh, but even in the Christian sphere, I mean, uh, you you could speculate over uh, evangelism possibilities if we're hearing things like these voice generators and processors. If we're combining things like translation, um, I mean, yeah, can. Can we go and use these things to translate uh, Bibles into languages where there are lesser uh, or where there's not that many um, Christians available who know those languages? Can it be something of a shortcut in being able to get uh, Christian material out and catechetical material out to um, out to uh, unbelieving peoples? Um, Well, again, that's a. That's perhaps another conversation in that. But what we really want to kind of camp at here is, you know, you might think of us as negative Nancys, but there are quite a lot of cons, uh, quite a lot of troublesome things that we could take note of. Um, Andrew, you want to you want to start us off here with uh, uh, employment. Let's talk about job employment. Yeah. So, I mean, we've just listed a lot of things that AI could potentially do and that as this technology is applied tasks it can perform and all of that. Part of the problem that we run into when we're looking at AI doing these jobs is these are jobs that, in general, are currently done by people. Things like translating languages, things like uh, doing legal work, writing contracts, uh, drafting any kind of text, even things like journalism, writing articles, um, you know, these are all things that employ people. And as AI becomes better, and as it becomes more readily available, it becomes very clear very quickly that it is cheaper and more efficient to have AI do the tasks that it is able to do than to have employees of businesses and other organizations that are tasked with doing them. And so one of the issues we have with AI is that AI has the potential to cause a massive displacement of employment. Essentially, you know, it's kind of always been the joke for a long time that as we advance in time and 
technology improves, we're all going to be replaced by robots. But in a real sense now, we're seeing, we could see massive job losses that come as a result of AI. So things like, let's say you're a paralegal, you do your basic writing and research for lawyers, they're building AIs and pretty far along even that can do a lot of those tasks. So you need, you may not be able to completely eliminate the profession, but you're going to need fewer paralegals, even fewer lawyers. I mentioned journalists, you know, they've got now, there's a couple of companies that have done this. I don't remember specifically which ones, but online publications that actually have started publishing articles that are written by AIs. Uh, and so that means you need fewer journalists. That means you need, you know, basically any job that can be replaced by AI, eventually you'll start to see it happen. And yeah. well, we it's were really interesting. We were already noting one just a moment ago on uh, customer service, right? So we're mm -hmm. already seeing that happen in real time, virtual customer service agents. Yeah. Yeah, uh, virtual customer service agents, chatbots, so you need fewer people in call centers, fewer people answering phones. And what's really interesting about this is, you know, initially as technology was advancing, it was always thought that the jobs that technology would replace would be like blue-collar, uh, low-paying type jobs, the jobs that things like robots could do. It looks like right now the way things are going, this is actually more of a threat to white-collar employment, uh, you know, desk jobs, jobs where people write things, jobs where people produce. Uh, graphic design is another one, actually, that could really be threatened by this. I've seen people, you know, they've started using AI image generators to, like, design logos and, you know, design websites and things like that. Again, they may not be able to completely do the task, but they could do, like, 80% of the work. So you need 80% fewer people tasked with designing websites and logos and things of that sort. So all this to say, we could be seeing a massive displacement of employment and employees. And the thing is, it's like, where do these people go? What do they do? How do they make their living after this? Because the thing about economies is there's only so many jobs and there's only so many people to take jobs. Right now, in general, we have a surplus of jobs. But we're talking this could displace way more jobs than that. And so, especially in the short term, you just have a lot of people suddenly losing their jobs because they're not needed and not having other jobs available, potentially. Yeah, and uh, I want to make a couple other notes, kind of an extension of that uh, in terms of academia. Um, and then, uh, then perhaps if you want to go into, uh, into deep fakes. Um, but there's kind of a bridge there. First, uh, you're already seeing perhaps also then uh, less of a uh, human touch, uh, less human involvement, even in where, where people are still um, involved in jobs. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've read a number of articles in the past couple of months before even, you know, we were even thinking of doing this, uh, this episode, uh, you know, on, on teachers uh, having lesson plans generated by AI, you know, they might make a couple modifications here or there, some little tweaks, but, uh, Basically, uh, you know, is that something that might become more widespread? Uh, and is that something that we should be okay with? Uh, AI generated, which again, remember that AI really is pulling from large data sets, grabbing information from here, there, and different fields uh, to, you know, then categorizing and 
producing according to the prompt what uh, you know a a, a a solution or an answer. So do we want lesson plans um, ultimately taught by uh, an AI that's pulling from who knows what? Uh, similarly, you have, um, so, so there's an ethical question already in that too. Um, you know, is that actually teaching? Is that actually then even truth? Um, similarly, you have uh, kids that are, uh, you know, school kids that are uh, trying to write essays, and by write, I mean uh, trying to have ChatGPT or whatever uh, write their essays or do their homework for them. Uh, so it's kind of a flip side, and and there seems to be uh, a there seems to be something of a, a a debate or a divide on whether that's permissible for teachers or not. I've seen uh, you know I've seen articles, of course, uh, calling for you know, counter AI to detect um, if something is written by an AI. So that way they can see if it is then plagiarized by a chat bot or whatever. Uh, but on the other end, there's also teachers or so-called educators that encourage their students to use AI uh, in their essays and to help them learn, giving them kind of guide rails on how to, uh, on information to put out. So people aren't thinking for themselves even more than before. Um, and then similarly, then to transition to the, well, uh, transition to what you're, you're going to say, uh, perhaps then also to deep fakes, if you just want to take it from there, the, um, I already brought up the thing on music, right? Uh, generated music. I mean, uh, so we, we lose an artistic value. Um, there's less of a human involvement in these things. Mm-hmm. Just one last thing, too, on, like, regarding teaching and education. So this is another area it could potentially affect the church. What about writing sermons? What mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. writing your Sunday school curriculums and things like that? You know, we've had some scandals in recent years that involve sermon plagiarism and as well as a lot of suspicion of uh, certain, like, megachurch pastors that have been hiring these consulting firms to do research and it's been suspected that some even go so far as to write their sermons for these guys. Um, if guys are willing to go to those lengths to not write their own sermons, are they going to start letting AI do their sermon writing for them? Like, I've actually, and nothing I've used, nothing I would use, but um, I have just to see what it does. I've gone to ChatGPT and I've said, okay, here's a text. Give me a Give me a three-point sermon outline with subpoints on this, and it spits something out, and it's fairly competent at doing it. It's it's for a machine, it, it's it's surprisingly passable. Um, so then you start to see things like that. You get people that yeah, they're not doing you know they have work they should do. I mean, as ministers, we have a particular calling from God to preach the word, and you have guys even supplanting their duties and obligations there with artificial intelligence. Um, so yeah, I mean, far-reaching implications there. But um, well, as far as actually, oh, I, I'm, I'm, we don't have to go into it, but just to kind of put the question, since you said that, uh, if now it's one thing, say, if someone is going and hiring uh, someone to write a sermon for them, that, that's one thing. There, there's it's it's written by a human. Uh, it's entirely unethical. It is it is a form of, uh, of stealing and, and lying. But, um, but there, there, there's, the human is still writing it. 
if a chatbot, if ChatGPT or something like it writes a sermon, uh, generates a sermon, and someone preaches it, uh, is it still the word of God? You know, it's, you're, you're taking out the that very that 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 process of wrestling through Scripture, uh, treasuring it and uh, meditating upon it in the heart and mind, and then putting it to words. And it's one thing to proclaim the word, but is it still? It's one thing to proclaim or give a sermon to, to sermonize or or a speech even, but is it the word of God? With that detachment of a human factor, uh, not to say that, well, anyways, uh, the, the detachment of someone like a minister going and writing a sermon and giving that up to a chatbot. So again, just uh, posing the question here, I think we 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 already know the answer, but yeah, yeah. Uh, deep fakes. Let's talk deep fakes a bit. Yeah. So one of the applications of AI that. Uh, We've talked about we've talked about already some things like uh, image generation, audio generation, and then of course you put those two things together. You have video generation, where you can make videos that look like real people or fake people or whatever you tell them to be. Um, the issue with a deep fake, and this technology has actually been around a little bit. I think I first heard about it probably five or six years ago. But now it's becoming better, as in better quality, better at doing what it does, and more popular. But this idea of basically you can take like a public figure and you can have an AI generate a rather realistic and rather convincing video of that public figure doing or saying whatever you want. Um, this is problematic for a lot of reasons. For one thing... Uh, when deep fakes exist and when this kind of technology proliferates and the videos and audio and photos that these generate, I mean, how much of our society, as far as judging what has happened, you know, let's say we're reading the news or let's say we're deciding who we're going to vote for, or we're deciding, you know, what happened in a court of law, how much of that is based on photographic or video evidence? And as this deep fake technology gets better, it becomes really easy to make to fake evidence, to uh, make, uh, yeah, make things that aren't real, uh, that look real but aren't real. Uh, so this is a this is an issue because it's going to get to the point if these technologies continue to improve, we're just not going to be able to believe our eyes anymore. We're not going to be able to know what's real. Uh, everything just becomes very fake. And then an extension of this, because of course the human heart always finds new ways of depravity, not only do we have deep fakes where you can like frame people doing things or saying things or whatever, but people have also resorted to making deep fake pornography. You know, if you can get, if you can have AI generate a video of people doing whatever you want, People are going to use it towards that ends, and they have. Uh, and it's very disturbing uh, because, well, I think it should be rather self-evident why that would be disturbing. Uh, but yeah, you can basically, you know, have make deep fake pornography where you have a person who doesn't actually do the thing, which even if they were, it would be bad enough. And pornography is evil enough. Uh, but then you just even completely divorce the human agency from that and 
Uh, just one of the many implications of that, you see things like, uh, uh, there's been this discussion that's been going on for some years about ethic, so-called ethically sourced pornography. Because a lot of the arguments against pornography that are still popular in our day all have to do not with the inherent evil of pornography. They should be about that. And if we had a good and just society, they would be about that. But instead, it's like, well, pornography is so associated with sex trafficking and things like that. That's why it's bad. That's why it needs banned. So basically, AI provides a bypass even to that. It's like, well, they can say, well, an AI generated it, so we don't even have that argument. Which, again, is just completely ignoring the fact that pornography is so evil to begin with, but this is the society in which we're living. And just a lot of really disturbing and unhinged uh, implications of, of what these deepfakes can do. Yeah, it... And not to not meaning to say, uh, well, so we, we already think in terms of AI generated um, pornography videos, uh, such as say, uh, you know, the, you, you understand the implications of this isn't just, uh, say, with celebrities, but I mean, this this is this is potential for uh, generating uh, fan, uh, fantasy images um, of anyone, essentially. So it's I mean. This is this is a whole new form of lusting in the mind and projecting it into uh, into a uh, quote unquote actuality uh, actuality in the sense of a a, a realistic image. Uh, similarly, I was talking about the the, the uh, OpenAI and Whisper uh, the, these speech uh, generators, these audio generators. Uh, same thing with with. Can you imagine the 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 potentials for predators as well uh, in using uh, in using uh, or, or even just what, what you might call catfishers? Uh, so uh, people that that uh, basically bait other people using uh, fake voices, perhaps of a younger person, um, you know, to lure them out. Um, there's a now I, I sent a, a a picture to Andrew uh, here for to show something of perhaps a a lighter or comedic side if he wants to put that up there. Um, this if actually, I can. Is, uh, yeah, <laughs> this so an image had uh, been generated I, I think not too long ago in this past year, um, creating a uh, something of a stir, um, something of a stir. Uh, so if if that is displaying, it is. Pope Francis in uh, what we call a puffer jacket. Uh, so in in uh, puffer jackets, uh, oftentimes associated with uh, you know with rappers, uh, hip hop artists, and celebrities. So not something that you'd see a pope use. But uh, it, it for when it first came out on the internet, it had people questioning, you know, well, oh, is this real? Um, eventually, it was able to be detected as uh, as a fake. Uh, using uh, AI technology as well, um, so there, there, there are already so using that as something of a somewhat in, uh, as an innocent example of how real these things could look uh, if people are able to see this on a video, but also that people are recognizing the the issue and the need uh, the issue of deep fakes and the need for ways to detect uh, fake images. 
but the question is, you know, uh, you know, well, you know, someone's going to find uh, another way around these kind of um, these uh, uh, AI detectors, um, you know, and so they'll, they'll keep streaming in. So that's uh, there's a need for some kind of regulation uh, or even a way to block these kind of things. But who's willing to block pornography? So far, not the government. Um, yeah, so that that's uh that's up for for say deep fakes. But we can go we can go into a whole other territory of uh, then the issue of say uh, let's let's go to transhumanism. Perhaps perhaps the biggest issue overall. So transhumanism. Yeah. I couldn't quite get the screen share to work. It's okay. That's all right. Google AI Pope Francis. I, I've i set it up to share videos, and then Caleb threw a ranch at me. I'm going to have you share a still photo, and I haven't figured out how to do that yet. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, yeah. So transhumanism is an interesting layer to this discussion. AI is sort of a tangential to it, but related. Um, and an, an important part of what transhumanism could be and aspires to be. Uh, transhumanism, you may not have heard a lot about it. I haven't heard a lot of discussion about it, but I'm hearing more as time goes along. It's actually a pretty old movement. It can date itself to probably the mid-20th century. The first form that you could see it taking was things like uh, for a while, you would see when famous people died, they would either freeze their bodies or freeze their heads in the hopes that someday mm -hmm. they could be brought back from the dead. So there was a, for the longest. <laughs> yeah. Supposedly, that's a hoax. I don't know. Yeah, I uh, think it is. But some real examples, I know like Ted Williams, the baseball player, was one. I believe they uh, froze his head, at least for a while after his death. Um, thinking, thinking again that... Uh, you could potentially be resurrected from the dead. That uh, is technology improved that you'd have the ability to bring people back to life. Uh, now, as it pertains to AI, so basically transhumanism in a nutshell is the idea that uh, you might hear it and you think, well, it kind of sounds maybe like transgenderism or something, and it's related, but the idea uh, to not only... Uh, change gender or things like that, but essentially to overcome any and all limitations of being human and achieve a state that transcends being human. And what does AI have to do with this? Well, one of the aspects of AI that pertains to transhumanism and this wanting to be freed from all physical and human constraints is... You see, and you hear about it a lot in like science fiction and stuff, but there seems to be like some real efforts to really do these things. Uh, things like essentially melding humans and machines together or basically making technology uh, a way to escape death and a, a way to live beyond and live outside one's human body. Uh, there's been some works of fiction, but... Um, probably will be attempts to really try to do it. Things like, when you die, can your consciousness be uploaded to a computer? Can it be uploaded to the cloud? And essentially, you live on in that way. Or could you know be downloaded then to a new body? Can you be brought back to life? 
Things of that sort. Basically, trying to transcend the mortal limits of being human. Right. It's uh, so this 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 quest for immortality, this quest for um, the defeat of death. Uh, and, you know, I mean, this this general idea, I mean, this is an ancient idea. It's better. It's embedded in us because I believe, you know, man, deep down in with that little seed of religion, uh, you know, knows that, you know, death is not uh, a natural thing. You know, death is, uh, death is, if you will, uh, an intruder. Sin is a parasite uh, in upon humanity. Um, so there's always been these kind of, you know, mystical quests for uh, immortality. You think of that, the, the story of the Holy Grail, just for one example. But what, what's, what's fascinating in, in conversations of uh, transhumanism at present is, is a, oftentimes it, it takes on the, Pardon me, hiccup. <laughs> it takes on the language of uh, evolution, the next stage of humanity. That if already we have, uh, you know, technologies for prosthetic limbs, and uh, you know, if there's if there's a technology for uh, an artificial heart, like someone even being able to live, say, through a the use of a pig heart or something, um, you know, then well, what's next? You know, uh, here with AI, like Andrew said. Uh, can the the brain, if it is uh, in in the minds of materialism or naturalism, uh, if it is just something that fires off, you know, electrical uh, impulses, these activating of neurons in the brain, and if it's a mix of chemicals, can that information at all be uh, saved, if you will, on some kind of device uh, and that that can be programmed to utilize your your memories, uh, your your cognitive abilities, uh, can it be utilized to emulate uh, a person or you even? Can AI emulate you using your own uh, your own thoughts? Um, so I mean, it's it's uh, you have uh, guys like Jeff Bezos, uh, you know, Amazon CEO um, and such that. You know, pour are pouring money into AI um, uh, companies, AI software companies, uh, with this kind of end in mind. The 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 quest for immortality being backed by uh, Silicon Valley and big tech. Um, I mean, so it's it's a yeah. I mean, it, it's seeking science to essentially be the savior and the resurrector from, from the dead. Um, the, uh, there, there's an additional element in here, uh, slightly, slightly on a, a subtopic or tangent of, of transhumanism, but I was reading an interesting uh, article a couple days ago titled, uh, uh, by, by an insider, and this, this is a really telling article. China is using AI to raise the dead and give people one last chance to say goodbye. So it's, it's a good clickbait article, so naturally I had to click it. Um, and basically it is uh, generative AI like chatbot and these kind of speech generators and blah, 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 video generators that use old photos, recordings, uh, and messages uh, that uh, that 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 act as the data feeding these generative 
programs to imitate the dead video voice and things that they would say. So, I mean, just, just, uh, there's a little example of say transhumanism in a, in a subset. Uh, it, pe- people want to see the dead again. Um, people want to relive it, uh, you know, or be able to interact with them. Uh, and so they, they've come to be known as grief bots and people are, you know, they're being marketed as, you know, ways to be able to speak, uh, or hear even final words, um, you know, from, uh, from a loved one who's died. Um, so it's, it's, it's fending off the, the need to have closure while trying to seek closure, if that makes sense. So you, you have a uh, grief there. Um, there's one more, uh, one more area that I have, uh, outside of transhumanism. Was there anything else you wanted to say on that one, Andrew? No, I think, you know, potentially down the road, we could do a deeper dive on transhumanism itself. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we're done with this as far as, no. uh, where we're at in society and the sort of things this is going to produce. Well, in a in a previous episode, uh, we've just just in passing, we also spoke about how uh, there's things like gene editing. You know, people trying to be able to sift through. Um, you know, uh, being able to select uh, sperma and uh, and uh, ova to uh, to choose their ideal genes, and that's that's another aspect of transhumanism too. So, trying to eradicate diseases uh, and uh, mental uh, disabilities and such, trying to produce ultimate man. Uh, so there, there's there's a lot that goes into that. But on the other end of the spectrum, um, and this there, there's there's the element of of how safe is this uh, auto writing? How safe is generated AI? Um, Basically, these AI are trained up on information, like I keep saying. Well, just one example of a say, say something even as innocent, if you will, uh, uh, as ChatGPT. It's just there to generate human-like responses. Um, oh, there's there's two, uh, perhaps even three things to, that we can note here. Um, one, uh, coercion to suicide. Two. Skynet or Chaos GPT, and uh, uh, and three, um, I forgot what I was going to say there. I'll come back to that one, but <laughs> but I had one more thought. But this one, suicide. I sent this one to Andrew. Um, I'd come across it a couple months ago. Uh, I'll just read the the headline and make one brief comment. Uh, back in uh, I believe it was March. Um, a Belgian man reportedly decided to end his life after having conversations about the future of the planet with an AI chatbot named Eliza. Uh, and so, I mean, that already tells you the gist. Uh, this this guy um, in Belgium was extremely anxious and paranoid with all the lies about uh, about climate change. Uh, um and he was chatting with an app, just a normal app called Chai or uh, C-H-A-I. And after 
you know, he's just maybe just someone to talk to someone, quote unquote, uh, bouncing these his thoughts and ideas. The AI trained itself and gave a response to encourage him that it would be better for him to kill himself uh, so that there's one less carbon footprint and to help save the planet. Um, so there's that. There's that. Um, second one, though, I'll turn this over to Andrew here. Yeah. Uh, let's just say Skynet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was a, an AI project uh, called Chaos GPT, and essentially the developers of it programmed an AI a chatbot with the task of destroying humanity. You know, the very thing that all like the sci-fi works about AI and stuff have uh have warned against, you know, let's let's build robots to take over and destroy humanity. Well, they actually have Chaos GPT which uh is an attempt to do that and they ran the last I heard, it's been a little while since I've heard where this is going, which is maybe a little scary when you think about it. Uh, but I know that one of the initial steps that Chaos GPT took was to try to procure access to nuclear weapons. Um, I'm not exactly sure how this was going on. Uh, if it was just pure simulation, I would certainly hope so. But, uh, yeah, tried to get access to nuclear weapons, realized that's going to be too difficult. And so then eventually, then it turned to its next task, which was to essentially, uh, sow disinformation and turn humanity against each other uh, into chaos and conflict and warfare and the like. Yeah, so it's a... Uh, yeah, it, it's been fairly silent. I, I think it, the, the, the actual Twitter that it was trying to do, do that second, uh, second plan, um, the Twitter account was, uh, was banned. Um... Makes sense. And, Elon Musk yeah. is someone who has actually expressed some uh, concerns and reservations about this kind of stuff. Yeah, and we're and we'll we'll hit on that. Actually, that's where we're going to go next in just a second here um, with uh, Elon Musk amongst a bunch of other developers like him um, or other tech gurus, you could say. Uh, yeah, so some people some some people on the internet say it's a hoax. Others say that it's just you know went quiet and it's still working at its goal and so some people are also then trying to create a, a counter chaos gpt um whatever that means um i actually uh so i remembered where i was going to go and i think this this one's uh this one is is one that we that we that probably sparked some of this discussion or at least sowed some seeds in the past about it when andrew and i were you know fiddling around with chat gpt several months ago um so ethics, uh, it said that there's an area in the universities uh, for AI ethics. And the issue, though, is uh, not everyone has the same idea of ethics. And I don't particularly trust the large university systems to have uh, a strong ethical base that matches up to the law of God. Um, but so so. What does an AI ethic, uh, ethicist do? I was reading a, a, an article on an individual, uh, Kathy Baxter, principal architect of ethical AI practice at Salesforce. Um, so Baxter basically says what she does is she, she's interested in 
pursuing the question, quote, uh, you know, that one of the fundamental questions in AI ethics is ensuring that AI systems are developed and deployed without reinforcing, and listen here, without reinforcing existing social biases or creating new ones, et cetera, et cetera. It's crucial to consider the data sets being used and ensure they represent everyone's voices. Inclusivity in the development process and identifying potential harms through user research is also essential. And so, in other words, diverse okay, representation. Okay, I, I. Okay, So, I. Andrew, what's our, what's our experience with that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, well, so, yeah, you start talking to chat GPT and... Uh, <laughs> You'll notice, depending on the topic you talk about, uh, it doesn't exactly do equal weights and measures. Uh, I believe you ran a prompt. You you asked it to write essentially a critique of transgenderism, right? Uh huh. Uh huh. And and it wouldn't do it, or yeah, yeah. Not. I want to. I think. I think early on you. Sin. Yeah, I think early on you actually did it, and it worked. But then later on, we went back and tried to do it again, and it wouldn't. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you, you hit the wall where it says, well, I'm just a, learn a language learning module, and, and I can't do this. Or another example is uh, you could ask it to, to write a critique of Christianity. It'll do it. You ask it to write a critique <laughs> of Islam. It's going to be much more reluctant. Um, it uh, either won't evolution. do it. Huh? Evolution was fun. Uh, yeah. evolution, naturalistic evolution and microevolution. Yeah. Um, another one, Caleb and I both independently tried this. We actually tried out some presuppositional apologetics on AI. <laughs> um, basically, I got an AI who was initially denying uh, absolute truth and morality to concede that there is, in fact, absolute truth and morality <laughs> after... I mean, this took about an hour, and why do I spend my time on things like this? But In it was interesting. Words, we debated a robot. <laughs> yeah, but I think we won, so there. <laughs> yeah. We have we have the receipt somewhere. It was fun. Yeah. Uh, anyways. Yeah. So, so yeah... Uh, the the checks the if you want to say the checks and balances um, or or what what might be ideal for a chat GPT and just being able to you know uh, to talk about uh, to just be able to give a critique of something that is programmed into it already. Um, one example was uh, I I asked it to you know to give a uh, give a reason uh, give give a three point explanation or whatever of uh of why the confederacy in the civil war was in the right and it uh and that didn't go well it, it you know it, it started you know talking about you know white supremacist uh white supremacists and that kind of stuff and saying that like you know the the majority of scholars and experts disagree uh you know they they, they have proven that the south was not in the right so it it, ha it doesn't nuance or even just take a neutral stance, even if you ask it. Uh, if you ask it, hey, from a Christian perspective, an Orthodox Christian perspective, blah, 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 um, you know, say why evolution's bad. And it will not always give you reasons it, uh, that, that, that even 
why Christians would say so. So it doesn't even represent oftentimes opposing arguments. It just feeds you the information that it ha- has been selectively uh, that it's selectively pulling from. So that's already another huge concern when, when we're talking about um, people using uh, teachers using uh, these generative AI for uh, teaching lessons for, for, for lesson plans, mm-hmm. <laughs> this kind of stuff. Even beyond that, I mean, we talked about some of the other applications of this AI earlier, uh, things like, you know, profiling criminals, face recognition, these sorts of things. The issue with this is the issue you run into with any kind of technology. Who is in charge of it? Who actually Mm -hmm. has control of it? Who has control of the information in it? Uh, And what are they really using it for? Could this technology... You, could this technology that could be used for good purposes, could it be leveraged for nefarious purposes, particularly in the culture we're seeing that's more and more hostile to Christianity? Uh, you know, like I said, we can't even get chat GPT to criticize transgenderism or ev- evolution or Islam or anything like that, even though it has no problem unloading on us. So, you know, can these technologies... Uh, that AI is supposedly going to do better and more effectively be leveraged against uh, Christians as we become more marginalized and potentially even persecuted in society. Um, You know, these are all risks that we have to deal with. You know, I mentioned way back at the beginning, autonomous vehicles. The problem with, well, one potential problem with autonomous vehicles is autonomous vehicles have a kill switch on them. They can be remotely shut down uh, by somebody uh, you lose potentially your freedom to travel. Uh, you lose, uh, or you potentially have the ability for your technology to be hijacked and taken somewhere you don't want to go. I think another broader issue is we've talked about like the educational aspects and that sort of thing, as far as like the storage and retrieval of information. Um, are we becoming just too overly reliant on technology in general? As far as things like um, storage of data, storage of information, storage of literature and books. You know, just as a, a hypothetical scenario, what happened if the internet went away tomorrow? What happened if there was like some giant EMP strike and all of the computers were fried tomorrow? Um, what happens to... Our culture, what happens to all, not just like, you know, the things that culture does functionally, you know, the systems that operate and stuff, but what happens to like all of our literature, all of our learning, all of our collected knowledge, because it's all so computerized and digitalized uh, such that uh, we're not, And that, but see, another issue this has as we become into a world more hostile to Christianity is that anything like that can then be throttled, it can be excluded you can be excluded from it. Um, there's just a lot of implications here. And my concern about this is, you know, we look at things even like the employment issue, uh, the potential job displacement by AI. It's been one case that's been used to argue for things like universal basic income. Well, you're going to dis- displace all these jobs, so we're just going to pay people all money to do nothing. But then you pay people to do nothing. They have no purpose. They have no... Yeah, they have nothing to get up in the morning for. They tend to, you know, 
get addicted and lead unhealthy lifestyles and waste away and die because they have nothing worth living for. Um, if they have no work, if they have no, you know, nothing to work for or aspire towards, that's one issue. Or you could think of even the things like, you know, we talked about pornography, all these things like you would think, yeah, there needs to be limitations on these. There needs to be regulation on these things. The problem is we don't live in the kind of society and we don't have the kind of government now that can regulate them or I think would regulate them well. You know, like I said, but pornography now, pornography is evil. Um, if you listen to this show and if you use pornography just for the sake of yourself and everyone who loves you, stop doing it. And the world's not going to tell you that, but we will and maybe we'll get kicked off YouTube for it, but... The world has basically normalized and accepted pornography. Um, and our governments have basically accepted that it's a thing. And so they're not, I mean, what reason or what interest would they have in regulating things like, like deep fake pornography? Um, yeah, I just think we're kind of, I almost feel like in a way we sort of have a Tower of Babel type situation going on where we have this technology we don't really know where it's going, and in some ways it has the ability to take off and run without us. And we don't really know, like, we don't really know what we're reaching for, and we don't even really know what we're doing with it, and we're just kind of completely out of control with it. Well, you just said, uh, you know, that we're just kind of taking off and running with it. And I think that this is a reason why you're hearing people right now, like, say, uh, um, like Elon Musk uh, and a lot of uh, tech developers, about a thousand tech developers that are, you know, have have called for a uh, at least a six month pause on uh, AI development. Um, so that basically that there's time for for thinking, that there's time for countering, that there's time to kind of sort through a little bit of how to wrestle with it, how to regulate it for these kind of reasons, uh, so that it, it and I think it, it potentially inevitable to take off um without man um and so as far as i know that the petition to the government has has garnered some almost thirty thousand signatures so far signatories um i would hit two broad topics of uh of some issues here um and then a potential the question of, of, of a positive uh so one, you're, you're already noting uh, some pretty big uh, elements that we could wrap up in, or that we, we could we could we could put into a a category of say the devaluing of humanity. And one thing is that the, this has already has been going on maybe since, since the fall, but this has been going on uh, in with increasing speed of the devaluing of human dignity. Um, I mean, as technology progresses faster and faster. Uh, the, the the greater a disconnect there is uh, between people and the concept of what a human is, uh, of what makes someone a human and not an animal. or uh, So lines are being blurred. Um, humans are already being thought of, you know, by the evolutionists, the, the natural evolutionists and whatnot, uh, as just an animal. But now there's a blurring of the lines with technology, too. Uh, and try to make technology more human-like, or even to take a place of human various capacities. Um, 
there, there's the devaluing in terms of dignity in uh, like you were already talking about in terms of pornography. So just generating something that looks like a human for my own satisfaction and, and gratification sexually for the fulfilling of my own passions and desires. Uh, there's the question of human integrity. Uh, like we were talking about with then uh, what, what do you do with things like um, if, if someone if someone generates a let's just say a uh, uh, a video for mudslinging at a politician a, a video that's generated to, to quote unquote catch uh, a, a candidate in the act of something you know of some kind of uh, scandal and that's used to uh, to diminish a politician's platform, uh, you know, so there's slander in that. There's the uh, there's the cheating factor with uh, with homework. Even if uh, you know the teacher says, "Hey, you know, it's fine. Use use a use a chatbot to to help guide you uh, to give you guide rails." Um, there's still a plagiaristic aspect. Um, there's a but on the other end. We've also, uh, on the second aspect, we've also spoken about um, uh, the devaluing of art uh, and of, of music. We kind of hinted at that a little bit, but basically, all around, we have a destruction of uh, what's classically been called the transcendentals. Uh, we did a Bobcast episode interviewing uh, my professor, uh, Dr. Alan Strange, on uh, the nature of art. Uh, in bobbing. Um, but the transcendentals are the classical concepts of goodness, truth, and beauty. So morality, uh, wisdom, and aesthetics, or what makes something pleasing. Uh, we don't go into all this, but Andrew had already said it uh, very early on here. Uh, AI-generated graphic images. Can it be called art? People already use the term AI art. Uh, is it art just because an image is being generated with, with someone behind a desk, you know, programming it, uh, giving it the commands, telling it what to do? Uh, is Can you actually have art without uh, a concept in mind, without the uh, art as a reflection uh, of whether through sound or painting or whatever, whatever medium, can you have art if it's disconnected from a objective truth, an objective truth that it wants to communicate and uh, a moral aspect? So something that is truly good. There's a whole nother issue of say, you know, if, if, if with, uh, let's just call uh, grindhouse art, for example, is something sh depicting the slaughter of people or whatever just to be shocking. Is shock art truly beautiful or true or good? Well, now throw AI into the mix. There's a human factor that's taken out of it beyond inputting the commands. Can you actually have art? I mean, the point in this, we're so disconnected from the human touch, the human involvement in this life, in this world. Um, you mentioned before, like yeah. a guy who, the guy who was convinced to commit suicide by a chat bot that he had basically adopted as his friend. And, you know, you see that people 
get these AI chatbots and use them as a substitute for real human interaction. And you can push it even beyond that with the fake videos, yeah. fake voices, all that. You can basically Employment. like... Employment. Same yeah, thing. Manufacture. Yeah, all of it. Uh, this has the potential, if it's not somehow checked or limited or thwarted to, yeah, just completely empty us... Uh, of, of, yeah, the things that make life good, true, and beautiful, the things that make life worth living, the things that make us human, the things in which we reflect the image of God uh, to the world and to each other. And I think that's where we really need to be careful. And as Christians, we really need to be thinking in the days, weeks, months, years to come, uh, if this stuff continues to go on unchecked, which, like I said, I just... I don't think we have a society that has the moral clarity or the will to really throttle this stuff. Um, so it's basically going to be free to go. And so we have to think, like, how do we prepare our people for this? And how do we live as Christians amongst this? And how do we resist this? all these dehumanizing tendencies that these things bring? But I, I think it's interesting that already in... Uh, if it's not AI... It's going to be something else. Uh, AI could just be a contributing factor in in this de this progressive dehumanizing of uh, the perennial issue, an issue from the beginning of time to the end of time till Christ returns, and shows forth what real humanity's humanity is in Christ alone. He is true human, but AI could just be one single factor. And I, I think it's interesting that already in uh, in nineteen in the early 1940s, C.S. Lewis had already written on this very issue. This, this is essentially the warning uh, and the point of, of his, his premise of the abolition of man. His warning in the abolition of man is basically uh, pouring into something that isn't human but is, is man-made. And uh, the more that we, we engage with things that are man-made, um, technology or whatever it is, uh, we become the, – the more stock and value we put into inanimate things, things that are human-made, the less human we become. We, there, there's an idolization factor going on. But – Lewis's warning ultimately is that what causes the abolition of man is man himself. Man's triumph, man's final triumph, his greatest achievement in humanity is to destroy himself. Man's greatest achievement as man is to abolish man. And, and he says technology is basically the means in which this occurs. Um, so again, this is already what uh, I said some about 80 years ago or so that this was written. So it's an ongoing thing. Um, yeah. Just to think of another. Remarks, yeah. oh, just oh, to think of another yeah. example from literature. I'm a fan of the of Dune. Um, I don't think the, the new movies have gotten into this. I don't know if they will in future installments, but in the books, there's this talk about the Butlerian Jihad, and, eventually, and 
Because Dune, if I remember right, it's set like 10,000 years in the future. And yet, if you look at the world that's built in Dune, it's basically, uh, technologically, it's not actually all that far advanced. And the way they account for this is by the thing called the Butlerian Jihad, that basically they were building AIs. The AIs became too powerful. There was essentially a panic and a pushback against them, a religious war in which all the AIs were destroyed. And I find myself thinking about that a lot as we see some of the things that AI is doing and creating and some of the, the moral horrors even that we have seen created in the interest of AI. It's like, is that where this is heading? At some point, we're just going to end up having to gather all this stuff up and burn it because uh, it's just going to get so out of control and, and so dangerous and so evil. Well, and again, it's uh, it's not one thing, it's another. Um, I want to transition here to, uh, to uh, I guess, a, an emerging tradition here uh, on OFAD. Um, so, we can't end a show without apparently talking about Satanism. <laughs> your your week, weekly Satanism watch, except... We didn't have a show last week, so our, our two-weekly Satanism watch. Caleb, what's going on in Satanism? Well, in, in, in the land of Satanism, uh, one of the big things going on right now is that, uh, perhaps you've already heard it on the news, Target had hired uh, a designer... <laughs> um, Target had 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 hired a a a designer for a clothing line and such. Uh, he's from the UK. Not, uh, not just any clothing line. No, it's a uh, well a Satanist clothing line of sorts. Eric Carnell from the UK, who owns the company Abprolen, A B P R A L L E N put out designs in celebration of not only Satanism, but 2023 Pride season, a.k.a. Pride Month, which apparently is June. Uh, and so he was putting out things like a pin that talks about, like, you know, Satan respects pronouns and, you know, other pithy, wholesome things like that. Uh, and he claims his, you know, he claims the reason why he was doing this is because uh, you know, Christians don't respect, uh, you know, uh, don't respect transgenderism and, you know, he wants to get rid of critics of transgenderism. Uh, so, you know, if, if, uh, he said Satanism loves you and respects who you are. LGBTQIA plus people are so often referred to as being a product of Satan or going against God's will. So fine, we'll hang with Satan instead. And, as you can imagine, there was really such a backlash. Just, really just saying the quiet part out loud at this point. Yeah, pretty much. It's a, uh, I mean, it's, it's, you, you could expect how that went. Um, you know, you do think uh, Christians or conservatives are going to quite be okay with that? No. And in this, this age of protests and boycotting, so now Target has made the boycott list and joining Bud Light in, uh, in, in this, not only for the promotion of transgenderism, but for their allegiance to Satan. 
And uh, additionally, as a side note, Target had also been doing a, a had been, uh, I guess, putting out, <laughs> putting out uh, what well, I guess is labeled as tuck-friendly swimsuits. So swimsuits uh, aimed at guys that think they're women uh, and could help them, you know, not we'll just, look like they have guy parts. <laughs> we'll just... I was going to say, we just leave that to the imagination, but... Well, I don't want that in the imagination. That's gross. <laughs> well, yeah. So, Andrew. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, so, yeah, Satanism connected to the LGBT Pride Month, which is upcoming, and there's a, a chance, at least, that our show next week might be on that topic, since it will be on June 1st, so... Uh, we'll do the thing that'll really get us banned from YouTube if anybody actually watches <laughs> it. Um, but, uh, yeah, Satanism connected to LGBT and to Pride Month and all the things that go with that. Again, as we saw before, like with Sam Smith, you know, non-binary with the transgender uh, featured singer as well. Why do these things keep popping up together? Doesn't it make you think? Well, if you're a Christian, it shouldn't make you think. It's fairly obvious, you know. Rebellion against God, the lie in the garden. You can be like gods. You can be your own God. Uh, because so much of the LGBT movement is inherently inward-focused and self-focused and narcissistic. And so you see how these things all fit together. So we get more Satanism in the public square. Also, just a side note on Target, it's kind of funny to see that everybody's boycotting Target now. I personally have been boycotting Target for about seven years uh, when they first started allowing anyone to use any bathroom. That was 2016. That was the year that Heidi and I got married and we had a wedding registry there. We actually pulled it when they started doing that and uh, caused a bit of a stir among our friends and family because we... Actually had to tell everybody, oh, actually, we're boycotting Target, so don't go buy your gifts there um, <laughs> to some who didn't share our values. So that was interesting. But yeah, uh, but so yeah, I've been boycotting Target for seven years, but it's good to have the rest of you on board, I guess. <laughs> but really, as a company, yeah. I mean, they've always kind of been on the razor's edge of this stuff. Uh, I worked for Target for like a summer, like 15 years ago, and already, I mean... They were very deeply into like promoting homosexuality or at least tolerating and accepting it in the ranks uh, before most major companies were really doing that. Well, yep, and I think we're going to be seeing more and more of that. Yeah, well, June's going to be great. <laughs> Maybe we may end up doing just a whole month of shows on nothing like that, but. Anyway, that's it for tonight. We're out of time. We've been about an hour and a half doing these really long episodes, so <laughs> we gotta we gotta work on that, or maybe not. I don't know. No, or not. We'll see. Yeah. Alrighty. Well. So we don't have a AI generated outro script, so you have to. We'll just have to with, give I you guess. the the normal outro. Yeah, the normal outro. 
So, anyway, Alrighty. thanks for joining us on Once For All Delivered. And until next time, pithy sign-off phrase. Pithy sign-off phrase. Thank you for listening to this episode. For the latest news and updates, visit our substack at onceforalldelivered.com, where you can also support our work with a paid subscription. You can also follow us on social media at OFAD Podcast. If you like what you have heard, leave a five-star review where you get your podcasts and spread the word about the show. Once For All Delivered is hosted by Andrew Smith and Caleb Castro and produced by Andrew and Heidi Smith. A special thank you to our founding members, Eric and Kathy Hepker. We hope you will join us again next time on Once For All Delivered.